0: We tend to think we know what causes conflict, and we always look outward. But what we're going to learn today is that the Bible points to a completely different source for conflict. That it's not really external realities, but there's something much deeper underlying all those things that do cause conflict. But what's underlying it is what makes conflict so contentious, so seemingly uh, unresolvable. So we're going to jump in and continue in this series on James, starting in James chapter 4. And we're going to uh, go through the first 12 verses of this chapter. So we're going to look at the first uh, couple of verses here. James says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Good question. Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Everyone say battle within you. Okay, that is a key point that James is driving home. It's an internal thing. You desire, but do not have. So you kill, you covet what you cannot get, uh, but you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and fight. It's interesting, James does not say, this is how to resolve conflict. He, he wants us to look at the cause of conflict, not conflict resolution. And it makes you think, why would he ask the question, what causes conflict? What causes Quarrels, what causes arguments? Because if you're like me, I think I already know that answer. It's what he did, it's what she said, it's how they behaved, it's how that person voted, it's the things they espouse, it's their worldview, it's how they responded to me, it's what they said, it's what they did, it's what happened. We tend to think that the cause of conflict is external, but what did we say? The evil desires. That battle within you. So James is getting to the point where he says, if you want to understand the cause of conflict, stop looking outward and start looking inward. Because all of us have a propensity to want to say it's everyone else's fault. We want to be the victim. We want to be right. We want our worldview and our point of view to be correct. Because if we're the victim, if we're right, if our worldview is correct, then how we respond is always justified. But James says there's a battle within you. And if you want to know the cause of conflict, you have to look internally. If you have conflict, if you have quarrels, if you have arguments constantly popping up in your life, you have an inner issue. Because inner conflict leads to outer conflict. If you are battling within yourself these evil desires, these things you want, if you are battling within yourself, it will always lead to outer conflict. And so James is saying, I want to help you to resolve conflict, but not like, let's sit down with a mediator and work through those things. There's times for that. But he's saying, if you want to get to the root of this, if you want to get to the heart of conflict, look inside, look at yourself. And he says, now it starts with these evil desires, these things that you want, these things that you covet, these things that you say, I wish I had. There's a word for that. It's envy. Uh, And it's interesting because James mentions, not envy, he did mention uh, envy, uh, actually what we looked at on last uh, Sunday, but he mentions this idea of desires way back at the beginning of his letter. Because he's saying you desire things, you want things, you see something someone else has, someone else has accomplished, someone else has achieved, and you say, I wish I had that. And that desire to have what somebody else has is a war within you. And if you're not careful with it, it will lead to external conflict. But the desire in and of itself isn't wrong. That's a human thing. We tend to want what someone else has. It's jealousy. It's self-centeredness. It's, you know, oh man, wouldn't that be nice? So James mentioned this in chapter 1. He says, Each person, he's talking about sin, each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So the desire, the the struggle, the internal conflict isn't the issue. It's what you do with that internal conflict. We all have these desires. But what James is saying, he says, you have these battles within you. You want but you can't have. So you kill, you covet, but you can't, you can't get it. And so it leads to uh, conflicts and, and quarrels. So he's giving us a progression and here's what it is. Desire leads to dislike. Dislike leads to disdain and disdain leads to destruction. So you want something, you desire it. Someone else has accomplished it, built it, achieved it, experienced something. And you say, boy, that would be nice. But that desire, if you don't deal with it the way God wants us to deal with it, it will lead you to begin to dislike that person or that couple or that family or that organization or that church or that team. We all That's why we all dislike the Cowboys. <laughs> it's really why everyone dislikes Tom Brady, because he's accomplished more than anyone else. Um, but it, it, it leads to dislike and and so what happens is we start personally, it becomes personal. We dislike this person. We almost believe that they have accomplished something, received something, uh, have possession of something that is rightly ours. And so we dislike them, but it doesn't end at dislike. It leads to disdain where we actually uh, begin to become hostile towards them. We want something bad to happen to them we want them to fail we want them to lose we want them to uh to uh, to their organization to fall apart we want their church their ministry to not be successful whatever it is it becomes this disdain and eventually disdain will lead you to seek to destroy them you'll try to destroy their character their reputation their success you'll do everything you can to pull them down Now, sometimes our weapons are external, and it does lead to violence, and it does lead to physical assault, but often it's much more subtle. It's our words. James talks about words repeatedly, and we've talked about it. So we begin to slander, and backbite, and lie, and soak discord, and words of deceit. And so James is saying, if you want to know what's causing all this conflict— It's because you want something that you can't have and you haven't gotten to the point where you say, I am okay without it. If God wants to give it to me, praise God. If God gives it to someone else, praise God. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed is the Lord. But most of us can't get there. So we quarrel and fight and want and desire and it leads us to want to kill someone. It's something we would, I've heard people say, I'd kill for that. That's what James is talking about. What point does it end? See, here's the thing about envy. Envy will not, will not, will not, will not stop until that which is desired is either possessed or destroyed. That's what makes it so sinister. When you begin to move, you desire something that's not envy, but it all starts with this little seed of desire that grows and it becomes envy, and all of a sudden you can't let it go until that person, that thing is either yours or you'd rather them die. I, I have a sibling who used to like to um, save all of his uh, like Halloween candy or Easter candy, and and he would save it. Now, now, um, I I would eat all mine in about 13 seconds, and then it would be a a week or two later, and he'd still have his little cache of goodies, and I'd say, can I have some? He said, no, I said, you're not going to eat it all. He said, I'd rather it rot than share it with you. That's the... Like, wow, really? Just, just give it to me, man. I need it. Uh, so, but that, that's the heart of, of, of envy. I, I, I want this. And nobody else can have it. Um, so we have to be very careful with this. Now, here's the thing. We, we believe that envy is because someone has more than us. Right? Someone has more money, more uh, opportunities, more connections, more luck. uh, They have more privilege. They have more something than us. And because they have more something than us, it's not fair and it leads me to envy. And so some of us wrongly believe that the answer to that is that everyone should have the same. If everyone has the same, no one will envy. The problem is envy isn't about other people having more than you. That's a wrong view. It's an external view. And again, it makes it about them. What James is getting at is this, that envy is a result of you wanting more, not someone else having more. If you would stop wanting more, it doesn't matter if somebody has more than you. That's not the issue. Nowhere in the Bible, when it's talking about life here on earth, does it espouse the idea that everyone should have the same. What it espouses is that if you have more than someone else, share and be generous. Share and be generous, share and be generous, share and be generous. We should treat everyone the same. We should love everyone the same. We should welcome everyone the same. But it nowhere espouses that everyone should have the same amount. But it says, if you have more than someone else, then be generous with it. Share, help, be a source of good. So that is our responsibility. And if you have less than someone else, okay, don't worry about it. I guarantee you, you have more than someone else. There's someone who has more than you, of course, but you probably have more than someone else. Statistically, everyone in this room has more than most people in the world. So you have to get to the point where you say, envy isn't about them having more. It's about me having to get to the point where I stop wanting more. And then James goes on and says this. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures, you adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Now, that is a mouthful. All right? So he starts by saying, you've got envy, you've got this selfish desires. And he says, now part of the problem is you are wanting more. You're wanting more. And so you're trying to get more. When you try and get more, you're not getting it because you don't ask God. When you do turn to God, you're trying to get more, but you're getting it for the wrong reasons to satisfy that envious desire within you, this worldly pursuit. So he's saying what you need to realize is you can either pursue stuff, You can pursue God for selfish reasons, or you can pursue God with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. You have three options. Ignore God and just try and get stuff. Try and use God to get stuff. Or say, God, I'm submitted to you, and whatever you give me is great, and if you don't give me anything, that's okay too. And so he's beginning to drive home this idea that you can't live this life that is pursuing worldly things and pursuing godly things. You can't do both. You can't seek after God with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength and seek after the world. So he says, if you're trying to do that, you're actually at war with God. You're you're choosing to be a friend of the world. Now, that can be confusing to us. Like, we think friendship is a good thing, right? Shouldn't we be kind? When he's using the term world there, he's not talking about people. He's not talking about those who are outside of, of the Christian faith. He's talking about world systems. So he's saying, if you are trying to live by worldly systems, the way the world orders things to pursue worldly gain, then you'll never fully pursue God and his systems in his way, because we serve an upside down king. I mean, it, it's total, if you want to, be great, you have to serve. If you want to be first, you must be last. If you want to achieve, you must surrender. It's totally backside down. And so James is saying the world system and God's system don't line up. And so if you are trying, endeavoring to be a friend of the world, to operate in worldly systems, it will by nature put you at strife, in conflict with God's system. So what's going to happen is one will lead you further away from God, from his ways, from how he asks you to live. One will lead you closer to him. So you have to decide. So being a friend of the world leads you to pursuing worldly things, not godly things. And James says, if, if you're serious about following God, then you have to lay this stuff down. You, you can be concerned about storing up treasure here on earth, or you can store up treasure in heaven. But you, it's, 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 you can't pursue both. Because they, they, they're not in alignment. And so many of us. Then James is writing to. And now when we read these words 2,000 years later. Try and say I can do both. And you can't. And what we're going to see is when you try and do both. It, it will lead you to a place where Jesus wants to spit you out of his mouth. So. Here's what he goes on to say. Aren't you glad you came to church today? (laughs) So you give me a week off and I come back ready to go. Uh, Do you not think that the scriptures say this without reason, that he, God, jealously longs for the spirit that he has caused to dwell in us, but he gives us more grace. That is why scriptures say God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So, what James is saying is, okay, God desires, jealously desires, the whole reason that God created what we see, the world around us, the universe, everything, is because he knew at the end of all of this, on the seventh or the sixth day of creation, that that he was going to create humanity, human beings, men. And women created in his image and his likeness. And he did it because he wanted to be in relationship with them. And he knew that as history unfolded, that would mean he wanted to be in relationship with you and with me. He's jealous for that. Everything God has done, everything he's revealed, the the reason he sent Jesus, the reason he sent the prophets, the reason he has moved supernaturally throughout history, the reason we have the word of God, the Bible, uh, is because God wants to show us how much he wants a relationship with us. He's jealous for us. But at some point, we have to say, do I want that relationship? Do I want it the same way God wants it. Am I willing to sell out for it? Or am I somehow willing to just, uh, you know, play both sides against the middle and I just kind of want to slide into heaven at the end of things, but I want my life to be my life? God says, I, I, I don't want that. I want you fully, holy. And so what you need to do is you need to get to the point where you humble yourself. Where you humble yourself so that I can move in. See, what... what um. James is getting at is the things that we want most, grace, peace, forgiveness, settledness, purpose, understanding our identity, feeling accepted. We'll only ever find that in God. We can find that temporarily here and there, but ultimately abiding, lasting peace, fulfillment, a sense that, you know, my life has a a meaning being here you'll only find that in God but it takes humility to realize that pride says I can accomplish that all on my own I can earn enough money build a big enough reputation eliminate all the stress in my life and I can say I've arrived but it takes humility to say the only way I can get there is by turning fully completely to God this is why James goes on he says now you want to know how you humble yourself great humble yourself God's grace flows in how do you humble yourself He tells us, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So submit yourself, come near to God, turn towards God with your whole heart, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. So what he's saying is you have to get to the point where you say, God, I am turning 100% towards you. Remember, James is writing to people who are believers. He's writing to the church. He's writing to you. He's writing to me. He's writing to us. And he's saying, some of you, I'm concerned, are living like fractured lives. You're trying to live part in and part out, one foot in God's kingdom, one foot in the world's kingdom. You're trying to kind of, you know, you're not fully committed. It's half-hearted. And so you're thinking you can do this and you're making light of it. And he says, if you realize this and you realize the world systems don't work, then you have to fully turn to God, be fully committed, take everything in you and say, God, I give this all to you. And if you see that you've been living lukewarm, it ought to drive you to weeping and to sorrow and to say, God, I am, I don't want to be that person. And that's what Jesus calls it. Jesus writing or speaking uh, to a church church, in the book of Revelation, uses a term lukewarm. Now, this is what Jesus says in Revelation 3. This is Jesus' words. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. But because you are lukewarm, you're neither hot nor cold. I am about to spit you out of my mouth. Now, the imagery here is clear. Jesus is saying, you've got water, hot water, Cold water, they have a purpose. Lukewarm water is no good. Jesus isn't saying being cold is a good thing. What he's saying is if you're cold, at least you're honest with where you stand. At least you say, hey, I am not in. I'm out. If you're hot, you're sold out. If you're lukewarm, you're trying to play both sides against the middle. And Jesus says, that won't work. I will spit you out of my mouth. It makes me want to vomit. That's the word in Greek, uh, to to vomit, to to throw up. That's how sick it makes me. I, I don't want that. Jesus says, I want you either to say, I am holy hearted, fully devoted. I am completely for you or I'm completely against you. But stop, stop, stop thinking that you can do both. It won't work. And I believe it's a warning to us today because so many people in our world, in our culture, in our Christian circles try to live lukewarm lives. So, Francis Chan in his book, Crazy Love, outlines some characteristics of lukewarm people. I want to touch on a few of them. One is this lukewarm people want to be saved from the penalty of their sin, not from their sin. They're not really sorry for what they're doing, they're sorry that they may get punished. ...for what they're doing. So God, save me from hell. God, save me from hell. God, save me from hell. But we rarely say, God, save me from my sins. And that's what Jesus came to do. He came to save us from our sins, not just the penalty of our sins. He wants us to learn to live victorious lives. We don't need to constantly give in to the neurotic, uh, neurotic tendency to sin over and over and over again. We'll sin. We're all going to mess up. We're all going to stumble at different points, and God is gracious and He'll forgive us. But it ought to it ought to wreck us. God, why, forgive me. I don't want to do this. Help me to be different. Next thing is this: lukewarm people believe their old life is better than living a sold out life following Jesus. They don't really want to, to be radical and changed they want the people that used to like them to still like them they want the people that that think they're pretty cool to think they're pretty cool it's someone that you know they're they're one group of people they talk one way do one thing they're another group of people they, they talk a different way and say different things and then they're over here at work and they talk different and look different you don't know who you're getting because they're lukewarm they're not consistent they want what's comfortable and what's easy. You often see this, not always, but you often see this in people who will tend to uh, bounce from church to church to church because what they don't want is to be challenged. They want what's comfortable. They want what they want, when they want it, how they want it, and if it's something that challenges them in any way, then they have to go find someplace that's comfortable. They don't really want to change. Lukewarm people uh, only give Jesus part of their lives. They'll give him part of their time, part of their energy, part of their thoughts, part of their money, but they're not giving it all to them. I mean, I'll, I'll drop 10 bucks in the plate now and again. Fine. I'll do 10%. Jesus says, great, 10 percent's good, but I want it all. I mean, I, I, I died for you. I think I did more for you than you'll ever do for me. So if I ask for everything, will you give me everything? We want to know why we don't see God do these amazing things. But God says to Abraham, will you even withhold your only son from me? the son, the child of promise. And Abraham says, I'll give everything to you. We say, "Ah, maybe I'll do 10%. Maybe because I'm really in love with God. Um, So, you know, we give part to Jesus. We give part to God. Here's another one. Lukewarm people are more concerned with this life than the life to come. What they can accomplish, what they can achieve, what can they experience, the vacations they can go on. They make their list, they have their list. And when you look at their list, you know what's not on their list? God. I mean, I'm doing this, I'm going there, I'm going to accomplish this, I have these goals, I'm going to. Nowhere is God on the list. But I go to church. Yeah, so you can check off a box. God ought to be the top of the list. And really, there oughtn't to be anything else on the list. I mean, if your life is sold out for God, then God is the list. God, whatever you ask me to do, I'm going to do. And then what Mary said to the servants, whatever Jesus tells you to do, do. First miracle. Most of us go, Wh- whatever Jesus asked me to do, I'll think about. I need confirmation. I need to, you know, get five people to say yes. And then maybe I'll do it if it fits into my schedule. Lukewarm people. Aren't you glad you came to church? Lukewarm people see themselves as provider rather than trusting in Jesus. They even structure their lives so they don't have to have faith and trust, right? What do they do? We build up portfolios. We build up savings. We have emergency funds. So if everything falls apart, we say, I don't have to worry. Okay, you also don't have to trust. Now, I'm not saying don't save. I'm not saying don't invest. Do all those things. But realize God is the source. Jesus is the provider. And you say, God, thank you for this. But if tomorrow you say, sign off your 401k, sign off all your IRAs and give them away. If you can't do that, you're like the rich young ruler who says, I have all this stuff. Jesus says, give it all and follow me. Mm. Lukewarm. Okay, last one. Aren't you glad you came to church today? Lukewarm people would rather judge others. And we're going to come back to this. Would rather judge others than judge themselves. It's much easier to say this person isn't, they aren't, they should, why don't, how come, where are, they don't. All these kind of things. Their lifestyle, their beliefs. Okay, you know what? What about you? What do you need to change? Where do you need to grow? Where do you need to be challenged? Where do you, where do you need to be transformed? Where do you need to step up? Where do you need to kneel down and serve? Where do you need to learn to uh, put others before yourself? Why are we so worried about how come this person isn't? Instead of God, how come I'm not? Because if you think, well, I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do, well, then great, you've arrived. You have arrived. I mean, you're one step away from dying for all of us. I don't think any of us are that close. I mean, We've all got a long way to go. So stop pointing the finger at everyone else. Lukewarm people say they need to change, but you very rarely change. And so you stay lukewarm. Now, here's the thing about lukewarm. Uh, in, in nature, right, the tendency is, if you take a, a glass of water, ice cold or boiling hot, and you put it on the counter, you know what it's going to do because the law of thermodynamics? It's going to tend towards lukewarmness. It's going to tend towards equilibrium. It's going to tend towards whatever the room temperature uh, happens to be. That will just happen naturally over time. But Jesus is saying, I want you to guard against that. I want you to be intentional. I want you to realize that you have to work hard to stay hot. Because if you don't, you'll naturally become lukewarm. And if you find that you've become lukewarm, here's the great thing. You can stoke those fires again. You can get on fire again. See, Jesus points these things out. He reveals those things to us. He kind of smacks us down a little bit because he wants to build us up. He doesn't do it because he's mad and he's trying to make us feel bad. He's doing it because he loves us and he wants the best for us. He wants to perfect us. It's why it goes on. And Jesus says this, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. I'm saying these things to you because my heart is for you. My heart is for you. My heart is for you. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, he's talking to Christians. He's talking to a church. He's talking to believers. If you've grown lukewarm, if you've started to drift, if you hear my voice, if you hear me knocking on the door of your life and you open the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they will eat with me. To the one who is victorious, to the one who becomes sold out on fire for me. I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Jesus is saying, I want you to live a victorious life. I want you to live a life that's sold out completely on fire for me. But that means you can't be so worried about the things of this world, this temporal world, this world that's passing away. And think you can live by the world's systems and live a sold out life in my system's. So you have to make a choice. Am I going to choose God? Am I going to choose to be on fire for God? Or am I going to allow myself to drift towards lukewarmness? And we all, as I said, we all have that tendency from your pastor on down. We all can become lukewarm. But by God's grace, he rebukes those he loves because he wants better for you. He wants more for you. He sees what we don't. He sees from an eternal perspective when we get so caught up. In the temporal. And then James ends this section with this. He kind of brings it back to human relationships. What causes quarrels and arguments among you? Isn't it the evil desires of your heart? So now he's talked about all these things lukewarmness, pursuing the things of the world, living for the things of the world instead of the things of God. And then he says, Now, this is what I want you to understand, brothers and sisters. Do not slander anyone. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister judges them and speaks against the law and judges. It, when you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but you are sitting in judgment on it. You think you're above the law. There is only one lawgiver and one judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? So what James is getting at is he's ending this section. He's saying, okay, we've got all these issues that are going on, but for some of you, you would rather focus in on the lukewarmness of other people than your own issues. You would rather say, I know better. See, when we start to judge other people, what we do is we begin to look at their character. We begin to impugn their their makeup, who they are, their intentions. We think we know their intentions, the intentions of their heart, why they did, why they said. We think we can judge other people if you can judge, the only person who can judge is the judge. The only one who's over the law is the lawgiver. But we think the law doesn't apply to us. I can apply the law to other people. We do this all the time. Parents. Oh, parents, if I could if I could give one word of encouragement to parents, stop judging your teenagers harshly. You have to bring correction You have to help them. You have to speak life. You have to speak words of encouragement. And sometimes you do need to rebuke those that you love. But oh, for every word that's critical of something they said, did, behaved, back it up with 10 words of love and affirmation. Because they only have you as a mom and dad. They'll hear a thousand voices. The Bible says you can have 10,000 instructors, but you only ever have one father. So speak words of life and encouragement. Stop sitting in judgment over people, wagging a finger. Why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? But it's much easier to do that. But James is saying, stop, 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 stop. There's only one judge. There's only one lawgiver. And I've got news for you. It ain't you. And he says, it's not me. And Jesus was my half brother. And it's not me. There's one who judges rightly, who can rightly discern the thoughts and intentions of someone's heart. There's only one who doesn't just look at the outside, but looks at the inside. Man judges by the external. God judges the heart. And so James is saying, stop doing that. In other words, what he's saying at the end of this whole section is this. Deal with your own lukewarmness and let God deal with others. But most of us would rather point the finger at someone else. And he's saying, that's not gonna work. It's not gonna work. Who are you to judge Someone else. So, what causes quarrels and arguments and divisions and conflicts among us? We do. We do because of our envy desire, our envious desires, the things that we want because we're trying to live by the world's systems and not God's systems. We cause those conflicts and those arguments because we don't want to deal with our own lukewarmness and we'd rather sit in judgment over other people. But what James is saying is, I want you to stop all that. God wants you to stop all that. God says, I don't want you to worry so much about what they're doing. I want you to choose me, be sold out to me, be 100% committed to me, to be on fire for me. That your life would be so radically different that when you step out of this world into the eternal, not only will God say, Well done, my good and faithful servant, but a world that's watching would say, that." person was crazy in the best possible way. They would say that person lived a radical life. I didn't agree with everything they believed. I didn't even know if I believed in the God that they believed in, but man, their life was marked. It was different. It stood out. Why do we want to blend into a world that we believe is wasting away? We can stand out for a kingdom that's never ending. That's what James wants to impress upon us and he says you can do this if you'll choose God if you'll say God today, today, today I want to deal with my lukewarmness and choose you so here's what I'm going to ask if you'd stand to your feet, close your eyes bow your heads if you'd say I, I know oh, I know why I came to church today because I needed to hear some of those things I, didn't, I don't like it. it, stepped on my toes it rubbed me the wrong way but it rubbed me the wrong way because I know I've allowed myself to drift. I know I've allowed myself to grow lukewarm and I don't want that anymore. I want to choose God. I want to choose God. I want to choose God. If that's you right where you are, just raise your hand. If you're joining us online, click the button that says today, I want to deal with my lukewarmness. I'm choosing God. Just raise your hand right where you are. and just begin to pray between you and God, what it is with that area of lukewarmness. God, forgive me. Forgive me for only caring about the result of my sin and not the sin itself. God, forgive me that I've been trusting in the things of this world and not you. God, forgive me that I've been trying to live a double-minded life. I've been trying to live pursuing the things of the world and pursuing you. And God, I know that that's not going to work. God, forgive me for only giving you part of my life. Whatever it is, you just do business with God. As you're praying, there may be someone here who says, today, for the first time, I need to choose God. Pastor, I've sat in church services and I've heard about Jesus, but I've never chosen him to say, I'm going to surrender my life to him. I'm going to give my life and lay my life down so that I can receive new life in Christ. See, Jesus came and lived a perfect life and he died a brutal death. But three days later, he was raised from the dead so that your sins and my sins can be forgiven and that one day we will spend eternity with him. And if you've never accepted that gift of salvation to be free from a life of sin and to live for Jesus, that's where it starts. That's the first time you choose God. But then day after day, I continue to choose God. So if you would say here this morning, online, in person, I want to give my life to Jesus. And just right where you are, just raise your hand. I want to become a Christian. I want to become a follower of Jesus. I want to place my faith in him because I've never done it before. Or maybe you did it so long ago and you've wandered so far away. It's like running home to the heart and to the arms of your heavenly father. If that's you, right where you are, just raise your hand. Say, I want to give my life to Jesus all right, well, I'm going to believe that everyone here is at a good place with God. If after the service, you would say, you know, that whole thing about giving my life, I, I, I'm interested in that, but I've got some questions. I'm not sure what it means. There'll be people up here that will talk with you, pray with you, and help you take that step of faith. But now one last time, those of you who would say, I want to deal with my lukewarmness as an act of surrender. This is what I'm asking you to do. I can't make you do it, but I'm asking you right now as an act of surrender, just raise both hands. I surrender, I surrender, I surrender. Oh God, every hand, every person that's got their hands raised here in person, online, God, I'm praying right now. Would your presence flood in? Would your Holy Spirit move? Would your grace pour into their lives? Because when we humble ourselves, you give grace. You oppose the proud, but you give grace to the humble and more grace and more grace and more grace. So God, I'm asking right now give us your grace. We can't even live on fire for you unless you give us that grace. So God, we're choosing you, but I'm asking that you would give us the power, the strength, and the ability to walk this out. Whatever those areas are, God, wherever we've become lukewarm, God, I pray that you would today light a fire inside of us. Oh God, that we would leave here on fire for you and that that fire would last pray all these things in the wonderful name of Jesus, the strong son of God. Now we're going to worship the Lord. And if you'd like prayer about anything, something we talked about today or any other issue going on in your life, you need healing. You need uh, help in a relationship. You need God to move in some way in your finances, whatever it might be. There's going to be prayer teams up here willing and ready to pray with you and for you. If you're online, just click the button that says, I'd like prayer, and someone will join you in prayer, join their faith with your faith. And We believe God's going to do something amazing. Now let's worship the Lord together.